Well, good morning, Rolling Hills Church family. I am so glad that you're joining in today. And whether you're live or whether you're watching online, I believe that God wants to speak to us. And I am so thankful that we can make the priority of putting God first, you know, starting the week off with Him, remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy. And then we can dive into God's Word together. And I pray that God's Word will dive into us and grow us as disciples, as men and women after His heart. Uh, you know, my daughter, 16, and she had that birthday during COVID. And, and you know, with that 16th birthday, right comes the driver's license. And so we were having this whole debate with Lisa and about, you know, who's going to teach her to drive? And I don't know if you remember learning to drive, if you remember if it was your parents or your grandparents or, you know, maybe a friend or an aunt or uncle taught you to drive. Uh, but Lisa was like, okay, you're going to be the one to teach her, right? You know, <laughs> because that can be a stressful time. I mean, there's a lot of things that are going on there. Or maybe you remember teaching your kids to drive. And so I was like, no worries. Can't be that hard. I taught her how to tie her shoes. Let's do this. So Grace is awesome, and she is amazing, and I love her so much. And so the first time we go out to drive, you know, and we're in a parking lot, and we're creeping along. We're just idling, you know, and you're still, when you're in the passenger side, you just have no control, right? You're over there, and you're like, break, break, and you're trying to like, you know, push your foot down, and there's no brake over there. You're, you're trying to turn the wheel, and, and there was just this, like, this moment, and I, and I had in my mind, okay, I got to let go of this. I got to let go of this, right? And, and I'm praying, you know, God, give me patience, and I'm not normally a patient person, but God's been working on me a lot there, and, and so, you know, watching her learn and see this. Well, the first time we go out onto the main road, you know, we're, we're out on the street, driving along, and when you're over here in this seat, it looks way different than being over here in this seat, right? And so you're over here, and we were coming on the road in our neighborhood, and I'm like, Grace, curb, curb, curb. You're right on the curb. You're and she's like, Dad, I'm not on the curb. I'm like, yeah, you're on the curb. You know, I'm looking right here. She's like, I'm not. And then we had this moment, right? We had these great times where we laughed a lot. We had these great times where we just had fun together. But then we had this moment. And this moment was where she pulls the car over, and she just stops. Right? On the street, she just stops. She looks in the rearview mirror. She gets out, and she gets in the back seat, right? It just, like, sits there. And she's in the back seat. Now I'm in the front seat, right? You know, a car sitting on the side of the road. And we were stuck. And I'm praying. And I'm like, okay, God, give me wisdom here. Like, what to do? Because I don't want to get back over here and just drive back home. I mean, I need her to learn. And, and, and so I'm praying right there. And she's back here. And we are stuck on the side of the road. And you know what I've been thinking about a lot is this. I think a lot of people are stuck. A lot of people are stuck in 2020. Maybe you are, you know. And just going, God, get me through 2020. Just get me out of this year. And I'm just going to wait until 2021, right? I'm just, I'm just, this year's over. It's done. They're stuck. There's a lot of people who are stuck in their marriage. You know? One person's here. The other person's sleeping in another room. And you're just stuck. Nobody's taking the initiative. Nobody's moving forward. Nobody's saying, hey, let's work on this. Let's get better. Let's have a great marriage. Let's go to counseling. No, they're stuck. There's people who are stuck in their career. They're just stuck. I talked to a guy recently. He said, you know, I, I get in the shower. I take a shower. And I, he goes, I just don't want to get out of the shower. I just stay in there right? because I don't want to go to my job. I, it's just stuck. And then there's people who are stuck in their relationship with God. You know, something happened, and, and there's this tension in, in their life, and there's like, why God? And they're stuck. They're stuck. They're not moving forward. They're not growing. They're not becoming. They're not maturing. They're stuck. 
But you know what happened? It was amazing while we were on the side of the road there, and, and Grace in the back, and I'm in the front, and we're, we're not saying anything. And then Grace is something so mature. She just got back out of the car. She gets back into the driver's seat, and we didn't say a word, right? And she starts driving, and she starts moving forward. And I have to tell you, I'm so proud of her. I mean, she's a great driver, you know. My prayer life has increased a hundredfold, praying for her as she drives. But, but to watch her move forward, it's like, yes, yes. You know what? The Apostle Paul, this is his call. And we're in the incredible series called Forward. And we're walking through this book of the Bible that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Philippi. And his whole message is, guys, don't get stuck. Move forward. And if anybody could get stuck, guys, it was the Apostle Paul. I mean, it is AD 61. Paul, who has been super Christian, planting churches, doing all this ministry for 30 years, and is now in prison in Rome. And if you're in prison, it would be easy for Paul to go, God, why? I mean, look, I mean, look, I've done all these great things for you. Why has my life turned out like this? I mean, what is going on? And all these questions. But no, Paul's like, there's joy. 19 times in this letter that he writes to the church in Philippi, 19 times he uses the word joy. He's like, guys, move forward. God is at work. And we saw that in Philippians 1. He's like, hey, people in the palace guard. They're coming to guard me, and I'm telling them about Jesus, and it's spreading throughout the whole palace. Hey, guys, I'm encouraging you. I'm writing you. We have this partnership, and that God works in me. I want to encourage you to go forward in your faith. God is at work, and I want to tell you, God's at work in your life. God is at work in your life. You hold on to him, and you start moving forward because God's calling you to move forward in your faith. If you have a Bible with you today, I invite you open with me to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. So Philippians, New Testament, kind of toward the back of your Bible, kind of midway through the New Testament. And it is so good. I'm going to tell you, if you have a pen somewhere and you can highlight some things, if you're on version, you can mark some verses and just let those, memorize those, let those kind of marinate in your mind and your heart as you live life because there is a deep, rich truth for us today. But in chapter one, you know, Paul was saying, hey guys, thank my God for you guys. And all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. And then in chapter two, he says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. You should have the same mindset as Jesus, you know, and he gives this picture of Jesus. And then in chapter three, he says this, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. <laughs> Isn't that great? I mean, there's one of those times, Rejoice in the Lord. I love how he puts an exclamation point there. And he says, hey, it's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. God, sometimes we just need to be reminded, right? Sometimes we just need to be reminded of truth that we know. And he's saying, I want you to rejoice in the Lord. You are a Christ follower. Your salvation is secure. Your hope and your joy and your peace. Hey, rejoice. Have you taken time to just be thankful? Have you taken time recently to, to write down things and just go, God, I just want to thank you. I want to rejoice. Look at all these things that you've done in my life. Man, we talked about last week, that attitude of gratitude. When I am thankful, it brings rejoicing in my life. And then verse two, he says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. You're like, wow, that's pretty strong. What's he talking about? He's talking about Judaizers. You're like, what's a Judaizer? Well, those were people who were Jews, right? And then they became Christians. 
So they were Jews, and they kept all the laws in the Old Testament. They followed the Old Testament. Testament literally means covenant, so the Old Covenant. All those things back here, right, in this part of the Bible. And they kept those, but then they saw that Jesus was the Messiah, and they became Christ followers. However, they started saying, we're going to bring all the Old Testament into our faith. And we're going to make you do that too. And so they're going around to these churches that Paul's planting, and these Gentiles are coming to Christ, and they're saying, hey guys, we are so glad that you recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. That's great. But also, you need to go back and be circumcised, and you need to keep the 613 laws in the Old Testament, and you need to do this, 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 and this. And Paul's like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. He says, watch out for those guys. For it's we, right? It is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh. You see, Paul's going, guys, look, the Jews, they're going back to Abraham. And Abraham, you know, who is the father of these nations, and, and God called him out of, to leave the Chaldeans and come to this land. And then there's circumcision that happened there. And so they're following this heritage that we are the chosen people there. But he goes, we actually trace back to Abraham too as Christ followers. Because Abraham was justified by faith. He followed God. He trusted God. So it's not, hey, we have to keep all the rules. It's just that we follow by faith. We follow by faith. And we're going to put our confidence in faith. He says, don't put your confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh... I have more. Paul's like, I was one of those guys. I was a Jew. I still am a Jew, right? And for 28, 29, 30 years before I met Jesus, I kept all the law. He says, guys, listen, I put so much confidence in the flesh. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I mean, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I mean, I did it to the letter of the law. I was of the Israel, I was of the tribe of Benjamin, which was the special tribe. That was the tribe that the first king of Israel came out of, King Saul. Paul might have been named after him, you know, his name was originally Saul. He says, hey, listen, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regards to the law, a Pharisee. Now, we give the Pharisees a hard time, but those guys, man, they kept the law. I mean, they kept all 613 laws. I mean, they were into it, right? He says, I was a Pharisee as for zeal persecuting the church and as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. I mean, it's like he just lays out his resume. He's like, guys, I did it all. And for him, this would have been like, hey, I went to Harvard undergrad. I went to Oxford to get my PhD. I mean, this is like, I did all of that. I did it all. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. You know, all that I consider it loss. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. You know, in the original translation, that word isn't garbage. It's actually dung, you know, but this Sunday, we don't want to use that word. So, right, they kind of tone it down and say, it's garbage. It's rubbish. It's nothing that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that everything I did, right? But that which is through faith in Christ, that righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul goes, 
listen, I've tried it. I've tried to be good. I tried to keep all the laws. I tried to do all that. And when I was frustrated, and by the time I got to be 28, 29, or 30, and I'm wealthy, and I'm a religious leader, and I've got all this stuff going on for me, I realized how empty it was. And I realized my need for Christ. And Jesus met me, and my life was forever changed. And look at verse 10. I don't know if you underline your Bible, but if you do, underline this one. Because he says, I want to know Christ. He's like, that's my heartbeat. That's my passion. I want to know Christ. Now, Christ isn't Jesus' last name. Okay, it's Jesus Christ. Christ literally means Messiah. I want to know the Messiah. I want to know Jesus. I want to know Him. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. You, you know, guys, this is so strong. But I love Paul's passion here. I want to know Christ and the joy and the peace and the hope that I have in Christ. I want to live life to the full. He's like, I'm even wanting to know the resurrection, the power of the resurrection, but also even the sufferings. Even when I go through hard times, I want to go through it with Christ. I want to go through it with depth. I want to learn what he wants to teach me in the middle of those challenges, in the middle of those struggles. And then look at verse 12. He says, not that I've already attained all this or have already arrived at my goal. <laughs> now, I love that because here's Paul, super Christian, right? I mean, he's been a Christ follower for 30 years. He's been planting churches. I mean, he's been leading people to Jesus. And he goes, I've not arrived yet. And so if you think in your life, you're like, I mean, I got a ways to go. Yeah, we all do. We're all a work in progress, you know? He says, I haven't arrived yet. He says, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do. I love that right there, man. Underline that. One thing. One thing. And then he uses this example from sports. Okay, he uses an analogy from like competitions and sports and games. Uh, you know, back then, uh, Paul loved sports. You had the Olympics that were happening, that were going on at this time, you know, in ancient Greece there. And uh, you also had the Ithium Games, which were taking place in Corinth. And you may remember he wrote First and Second Corinthians to the church there in Corinth. So Paul was very familiar with sports. He was very familiar with these games, the Olympics that were taking place. And throughout Scripture, he'll use these sports analogies, which I love because I love sports. You know, I grew up playing sports and, and watching sports. And so he will use examples like, hey, I don't just, you know, beat the air like a man shadow boxing, right? I'm not aimlessly, I, get in the ring, you know, do something, right? You know, like, come on, don't just stand on the outside, you know, and pretend. He talks about in Hebrews, hey, you run the race marked out for you. You run the race, you and I, the race of life. Live it and run. Well, here he picks up on that same kind of theme, that analogy. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. You know, when you watch the Olympics or you watch the runners, man, when they're coming in, I mean, they are just straining toward that finish line, right? I mean, they're like every ounce of their being straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul's like, man, I'm putting all of my energy here. I'm putting all my passion, all my effort, right, 
and knowing Christ and sharing Christ and furthering his kingdom. I want that prize. You know, back then in the Olympics uh, and also in the Ethiopian Games, if you won, right, you got this crown. It was made of wreath and it was made of leaves that would, you know, they would wilt after a week or so, right? Sometimes they were given celery. I don't know, that's a big prize back then, I guess. But, but today be like, really? But that, that's what they would win. And so you're like, all this training, all this effort, and you're given that. And he goes, no, no, no. We get a prize that God's called me heavenward. Our prize is eternity. Our prize is with God forever. And he says, verse 15, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. Like if you're mature, if you've been growing up, and if on some point you think differently, that too will God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Because let us live up to what we've already attained. You are a son or a daughter of the King of Kings. You have already attained salvation when Jesus Christ became the Lord of your life. When you asked for forgiveness. When you said, Jesus, come into my heart. I want to follow you. You've already attained it. So live up to it. Right? Work out your salvation. Live up to it. Join together and follow my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. And, and I love how Paul gets real personal here. He goes, I have tears over this, guys. There's people who don't know the Lord. There's people who are out there who are lost, who are hurting. You know, they're just living for the next thing. Their God is their stomach, you know, and, and their glory is their shame and the things that they've done and the parties and the lives that they've wrecked. And he, and he goes, they just set their mind on earthly things. And he goes, it just breaks my heart. I want them to know Jesus. I want them to have love and grace and purpose. Do you have people in your life like that? People that you're praying for? Does it bring tears to your eyes ever to go, you know, I got a family member who doesn't know Jesus. I've got a coworker who doesn't know Jesus. I got, I got somebody in my neighborhood who doesn't know Jesus. And, and I just watch their life and the decisions that they're making. And, and I want them to know Christ. Are you praying for them? Are you encouraging them? Because Paul did. And he shared the love of Christ. And he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. God is at work in you. Don't ever forget that. God is at work in you, redeeming, restoring, making things right, making things new. And He is preparing you for that eternal glory where you get to be with Him forever and ever. Oh, man. This is so good. Philippians chapter 3. All right, here's three or four encouragements that I just want to give you. So if you're taking notes today, here's some things from Philippians chapter 3 that I'd love for you to write down. You can go on the Rolling Hills app. You can fill in some blanks. You know, if you're writing some things down, here we go. First of all is this. Where are you putting your faith? Where are you putting your faith? Hey, if someone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul's like, guys, I've been there. I've tried to work for it. I've tried to do enough good things so that God would accept me. But, but listen, it failed for me, right? Hey, are you putting your faith in your family? 
Paul goes, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the tribe of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. I, I did all, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, my heritage. Sometimes we go, well, you know, I just come from a really great family. That's fantastic. You know, my parents were, were great people. They went to church, you know, or my grandmother, she was a saint. She was unbelievable. Fantastic. But listen, at some point, it's not your family's faith. It's got to become your faith. At some point, it's not just, hey, like I was born into this. At some point, you say, Jesus, I need you as my personal Lord and Savior. My faith, my commitment, I'm going to follow. Hey, what about this? Are you putting your faith in your religion? In your religion. You know, Paul's like, man, I was religious. I was a Pharisee. I mean, I'm going to temple all the time. I'm keeping all the laws. I am religious. And there's a lot of people who go, well, I show up for church. You know, hey, I watch online. You know, I mean, I, I, I show up, you know, and, and, and I'm religious. But I'm telling you, showing up for church is great. It's fantastic. It'll make you better. It'll help your kids. It'll help your family. But, but I want to tell you, it doesn't save you. Religion doesn't save us. It's not about what we do. It's about what he's done. <laughs> And at some point we go, you know what? Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to be the desire of my heart. Come into me, right? It becomes personal. Hey, what about this? Your morality. <laughs> you know, Paul goes, hey, as far as the law, I was faultless. I kept it all. Sometimes we put our faith in our morality. Well, I'm a really good person. You know, I mean, I really am. I mean, I'm a good person. I haven't killed anybody, you know, I haven't stolen things, right? I'm a really, really good person. I don't cuss a whole, a whole lot. I mean, like, not often. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm not really that greedy. I don't really give as much. I, you know, I mean, but, you know, but compared to everybody else, I am really good. I'm really good, really good. It, it doesn't matter, right? It's not about whether my good outweighs my bad that God will accept me. We'll never be good enough, <laughs> Billy Graham never thought he was good enough. Mother Teresa never thought she was good enough. Paul didn't think he was good enough. At some point, we got to go, Jesus, I need you. Forgive my sins. Redeem me and restore me. And then because I'm redeemed and restored, I want to live and do things that are right for your glory. But my morality can't save me. You know what? Your faith should be only in Jesus. Your faith should be only in Jesus. Jesus literally means salvation, Yeshua. And I am covered in the grace of God. I am covered in the righteousness of Christ. I am redeemed. And that's why Paul says, right, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. You know, here he is for 28, 29, 30 years living this way. I'm trying to be a good person. I'm trying to do the right things. And then he realizes when he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, it's all about him. And his whole life changes and the joy and the peace and the purpose that comes into Paul's life impacts the world. And for all of us to live focused on Jesus. You know, one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century was a guy named uh, Karl Barth. And uh, Karl Barth was uh, just this incredible biblical scholar Born in Switzerland in 1886. Uh, man, his dad was a seminary professor as well. And so this guy gets in the 
best schools. I mean, he is just like rising up in the ranks because his master's is a PhD. I mean, he becomes deans of theology. He's traveling. I mean, this guy has written more books on theology and the Bible and all this. And in 1962, he came to the United States. And he was up at the University of Chicago being a guest lecturer. He, he was there. And, and a student asked him at the end of his lecture, you know, they said this. They said, Dr. Barth, out of all the studies, out of all the millions of words that you have written about theology, about God, about the universe, if you were to boil down everything to one sentence, what would you say? And he thought about it for a moment. He said this, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. If I had to boil it down to this, Jesus loves me. I mean, all the people, Jesus loves me. Jesus redeemed me. He loves me this side though, because that's what God's word says over and over again. And if we could live in that love, if our faith would be set in Christ, change everything. Change everything. Jesus loves me. All right, number two, look at this. Keep moving forward in your faith journey. And guys, don't get stuck. Keep moving forward. Not that I've already attained all this. I mean, you talk about Paul, I mean, he could have said, hey, retirement, I mean, you know, I could retire, I have done all this, but he didn't. He's like still going forward. You know, retirement's not in the Bible, by the way, right? You know, like we don't retire. We continue to move forward, we continue to grow, we continue to mature, we continue to serve, we continue to give. We can make a huge difference. In fact, as you get older, you have wisdom, you've got experience to be able to give back. He says, not that I've already attained all this or have already been arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Forgetting what is behind. Forgetting what is behind. You know, when you watch runners in a race, right? If you watch the Olympics or you watch sprints that happen, I mean, they're not out there like, you know, taking some weights with them and going, hey, I can get some curls in too while I run, right? They're not putting ankle weights on, going, I'm going to streak to my legs. They are like slimming down. I mean, they got those little tank top things on. Those got a little running shorts. It's kind of embarrassing. I mean, they got, I mean, they got the lightest, you know, cleats that are on there. I mean, they are ready. And what I think a lot of times is this, is that we live life, this race of life, and we carry a lot of baggage. We just carry a lot of baggage, man. I mean, we're trying to go through life, and we're just weighed down with this baggage. And at some point, I got to forget what lies behind you know, I'm sure that Satan always reminded Paul, hey, Paul, you murdered Christians. And there was always this, he had to go, get behind me, Satan. I'm moving forward. There's all this shame and this guilt that we carry. And at some point we go, get behind me, Satan. That's not of God. God's not there condemning me. God is drawing me to him. God wants me to have life and to live light and to run quickly. You know, and we got to drop that baggage. We got to drop it. We've got to move forward. We've got to get out of the back seat and get back in the driver's seat and, and keep going. Some of you, you need to forgive. I mean, honestly, you know, there, there's this tension that you're carrying in a marriage or with your kids or with somebody else. And, and, and man, you, you can't move forward because you can't forgive. It's simple. You've got to forget what lies behind. I mean, it wasn't that big deal. You can get past it. You can move forward, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what is ahead. You know, that, that putting in effort. I want to study God's Word. I want to strain. I want to know. I want to grow. I want to mature. I'm 
pressing on. I'm putting energy and effort. I'm working out my salvation and pressing on toward the goal of Jesus Christ. You know, I mean, when you think about this, pressing to the goal, what is the goal of your life? I mean, what is the goal of your life? I mean, is the goal of your life to make a lot of money? Is the goal of your life to have a certain amount in your 401k and so you, you watch it and you go, man, when I hit this, I've arrived. And the problem is, you know, the stock market goes up and then the stock market goes down. And you're like, I had it, I didn't. You know, I mean, it, what is the goal of your life? Is the goal of your life to have a lot of kids? Is the goal of your life to have this dream job? What is it? And I think you have to come back and answer that question in your life because we're all pressing to something. And those things are fine. It's good to, you know, to, to excel in your career. It's good to, to have an awesome family. It's good to have those things. But the goal of our life ought to be Jesus. The goal of our life ought to be knowing Christ and sharing Christ and loving those around me, forgiving quickly, redeeming, restoring. You know what? You, know, you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. That's what Jesus said. And so when we focus on Him and we press toward Him, then God takes care of all these other things. God gives us the desires of our heart, but keep Him first. Press on, and then mature in your faith. Mature in your faith. Grow up, right? All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. Hey, maturity is the result of spiritual growth that takes place in your life. Now, we expect our kids to physically mature, right? We expect our nieces, our nephews, we, we, you know, we'd love for them to stay babies. Lisa would love to have them be babies, you know, but, but we expect them to mature, right? I mean, we kind of love to eat stage of life. Uh, as they grow up and, and they start to feed themselves, as they start to clothe themselves, as they start to drive, you know, we expect those things in life. But spiritually, a lot of times people go, well, I accepted Christ, and now I can just kind of kick back, you know. <laughs> my eternity is secure. I'm good, and I'm just going to kind of live my own life and do my own thing. It, but you're called to mature. You're called to grow up. You know, you start diving into God's Word. Why? So you can teach somebody. <laughs> you can teach your kids. You could, you know, lead a community group. You can go on a mission trip. You can serve. You can pray. You can tell somebody about Jesus. You can invite people to church. There's maturity that should take place. The Apostle Paul shares his own personal God story. So that's what it is. I mean, this is his testimony in Philippians 3, 4 through 14, right? What is your God story? I mean, think about it. what is your God story? Your life before Jesus? Maybe you grew up in a Christian home. Maybe you didn't. You know, maybe you used to be wild and partying, maybe you didn't. I mean, it doesn't matter. But, but what do you remember what your life was like before? Paul goes, I was super religious, but I didn't know Jesus, you know. What was your life like before? And then what happened when you committed your life to follow Jesus? For Paul, man, he'll never forget that road to Damascus. He'll never forget meeting Jesus at, you know, 29, 30, 31 years old, and his life was forever changed. What about you? You still remember when you committed your life to Christ and said, I will follow I will fall. I'm making a commitment right here. Hey, and then this, your life now in Jesus. What's your life like now? Are you maturing? Are you growing? Are you, do you have a hunger? Like, I'm so thankful that you're watching today. That's a sign of maturity. I'm so thankful that you're taking part in what God's doing in church. That's a sign of maturity. Are you growing? Hey, as you look back over your life, 
Are you maturing in your faith? And it's steady progress. It doesn't happen just overnight. Man, I am conformed to the image of Christ. No, but it's like a long obedience in the same direction. <laughs> and over time, God's maturing me, growing me, working in me. And look at this. Our faith in Jesus will last for all eternity. And that's the great part. We don't do it to get a prize that's going to fade and go away. It's all for eternity. But our citizenship is in heaven, right? Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will become like his glorious body. You know, death is just really passing from life to life. Right? I mean, death is just a gateway. I mean, we're going from life to eternal life. And our bodies are transformed. We'll have a spiritual body in heaven. We are on the winning team. When you're in Christ, you're on the winning team. Don't forget that. Right? We'll watch the Olympics. We'll chant USA, USA. You know, but, but we're on the winning team that God is with us. God is for us. We can't lose. Hey, heaven is our home. And I love how Paul writes there in Philippians 3, like, don't set your mind on earthly things. Set your mind on things above. Think about what heaven's going to be like. Think about that the best is still to come. And that gives you freedom to live this life here. I don't have to have guilt. I don't have to have shame. I'm not taking that with me to heaven. I don't need it right now. Let me move forward. And hey, our faith in Jesus fills us with joy in this life. There ought to be joy in our life. Regardless of the struggles, regardless of the challenges, as we move forward, the joy comes. As we walk in Christ, the joy comes. God is with you. God is for you. Don't ever forget that truth. You know, it was the Olympics in 1992 in Barcelona, and there was a, a runner named Derek Redmond. And Derek had, was running for Britain, and he had failed to qualify in 1988 in Seoul just by a few seconds. I mean, he just barely missed it. And so here he is now, four years later, working so hard all the time, training, 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 and he's made it, the Olympics, 1992, and he's one of the favorites in the 440. And he gets there for the race, he runs the first heat, he wins, he wins the second heat, now he's in the semifinals of the 440. The gun goes off, right? Everybody's watching, the stands are packed, and he takes off running. I mean, he's running, and then he tears his hamstring. I mean, the worst possible pain. And he crumples to the ground and, and just this writhing pain. And he's there and now he's crumpled on the ground and he looks up. And you can see him look up and he's watching the other runners come around and, and watching them head to the finish line. And he knows the heartbreak of all the training and it's gone. And then something remarkable happens. Instead of staying down, he gets up and he starts to hobble on one leg around the track. The medical people come back and he's like, no, no, no. And he's just hobbling, man. He's going for it. He's going for the finish line and tears streaming down his face. And then out of the crowd, here comes this guy. He comes out of the crowd and he starts pushing past the security and he comes up to Derek and he just puts his arm around him. And it's his dad. Derek buries his head into his dad's chest and cries for a moment. And then he just starts going again. And together, the two of them are headed to the finish line. Everybody in the stadium stands up. This is an incredible Olympic moment. And they just start to applaud. And Derek and his dad come around and they cross the finish line. 
I want to tell you this. There is a God who's come down and put his arms around you. There is a God who loves you more than you could dream or ever imagine. And I don't know where you are in life, but don't get stuck. Don't get stuck in the back seat. Don't get stuck down on the track. You get up. And I pray today that you could feel the arms of God just coming around you and holding you up and giving you strength to go forward, to go forward in your faith, to go forward in your marriage, to go forward in your career, go forward in your life. And the joy that comes knowing that God's got this, that God is with you, that God is for you. I don't know where you are today, but I know this, God is with you. And maybe you're in a living room somewhere, or maybe you're, you're watching from your kitchen, maybe you're watching on your phone in your car. Hey, know this, God is with you. And right now, maybe you want to go into the chat room and say, hey, would you pray for me? And there's pastors in the chat room. Maybe right now you want to just hit a button and say, I want to raise a hand. I want to accept Christ. I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. I've been living for the wrong things. I want to live for Him. And maybe right now you just want to say, hey, would you pray for me? Would you encourage me? But right now, I just want to pray over you. If you'll bow your head, just kind of block out the distractions. Let me pray right now over you. Father God, I pray boldly. Lord Jesus, meet us in this moment and change us forever. Bring joy, bring hope, bring peace, bring Christ into every heart right now that's watching. I pray, Father, you would do a transformation. Lord God, we need you. We try to live life on our own, and we are broken and we're hurting. But God, I pray right now that we would feel your arms around us. And that, God, we would know that we're not going to be afraid. We're not going to live life in fear. Fear can't keep us from dying, but fear can keep us from living. And we are going to go forward in faith. So thank you, Father, for meeting us today, for changing our lives forever. It's in the name of Jesus that we commit our lives to you. Amen.